All right. So welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. And we have another very special guest for you today, uh, Miss Catherine Walker, who is CRNA by trade, but now currently the CEO of Revitalist Lifestyle and Wellness. So welcome to the show. Very glad to have you here. Are you interested in real estate? Are you tired of hearing about all the money that your friends and colleagues are making from their investments, but you don't know where to start? Don't worry, I got you. We are teaming up with Dr. Ronnie Shalev and Shawin Properties to equip you with the tools you need to feel empowered about your investments. So how do you get involved? Do these three things. First, go to my website at drderickthesportsdoctor.com and click on the sponsor link for Shawin Properties. This will give you access to a free webinar as well as the ability to have a discovery call with Dr. Ronnie Shalev. Also follow her on social media and stay tuned for more helpful tips coming at you on Money Mondays. Now back to the episode. Thanks, happy to be here. Absolutely. So this is another, you know, I mentioned earlier when I uh, interviewed a guest about the Athletes Unite Conference. So uh, Catherine and I, we met at that conference as well. And we both spoke because she had just come off as being a panelist. I actually missed her actual discussion, uh, but I had her literature and I wanted to discuss with uh, the interesting work that she's doing in the mental health space. But we very both found it interesting that we were, you know, medical providers at an athletes conference. So <laughs> Yeah, that's a, yeah, very true. And, and here's the neat thing about it, too, is you're an orthopedic surgeon. And then and then also, you know, my background in nursing as an anesthesia, it's like, how unique is it to find two people at this conference? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, you know, nurse and then CRNA. So working in the operating room, putting patients to sleep, giving anesthesia, but now working in a mental health space. So talk to us about you know, first your background of becoming a, a CRNA and then how you transition into the space that you are now. So I have, um, I, I've still never figured out exactly what I want to do in life, right? My path <laughs> always evolving. I feel like maybe everyone's is, but, yeah. um, you know, I was actually pre-med uh, when I was an undergrad and I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Uh, so I worked at the hospital and they all taught me how to go on into medical school. Uh, so I, I was like, well, I'll do pre-med and nursing just <laughs> And I never wanted to be a nurse, um, but then I became a nurse when I was 21 years old. And really, I, you know, I learned to grow to love it um, and then did some travel, different things, um, worked in the ICU in a cardiac unit where we did about 800 open hearts a year. Wow. And um, I had no idea what a CRNA was. I was, I probably worked there for five years uh, before I knew what a CRNA was. And I had a guy come up to me and he said, you know, really, you should go back to anesthesia school. And I was like, I don't even know, you know, what that means. Right. Um, you know, so he kind of gave me the, you know, the highlights of it and told me how much CRNAs made. So I was like, well, you know, I mean, I was 27 years old at the time then. And I figured, um, you know, might as well try to give it a shot and went to school, went to anesthesia school in UNC Charlotte. And, you know, it was, it was great. Right. I mean, it's, um, the skill sets that we learned, um, during school, it was horrible. It's a horrible school, um, because it was so hard. Um, but it was skills that, you know, really made me a really strong provider. So, you know, I really appreciated all that. So became a CRNA, moved from Charlotte to Knoxville. 
Um, and then I worked in all specialties at the hospital. So I was doing neuro and cardiac and OB and pediatrics, you know, inpatient, outpatient, everything. And, um, you know, I, we, we use ketamine some, you know, as a, as an anesthesia provider, but, but not too much. Um, right. You know, there's certain cases that you use ketamine for back in 2011, 20 to 2018, I guess. Um, and really I, I did some uh, continuing education credits and, and saw ketamine and that they were actually utilizing it for mental health, which I just thought was crazy. Um, but I went through and I read some of the articles and I was absolutely amazed and I did some sedation for ECT which is you know your shock therapy for the brain and I mentioned it to a psychiatrist and I said you know have you heard of this and she's like yeah it's probably a fad there's a lot of fads you know, in, in yeah. mental health so um you know I, I just kept doing my job and really the purpose um it was a, I was actually doing a craniotomy and we were doing like a cerebral bypass it was a pretty big case and um you know, my goal was to wake the patient up within 20, 20 minutes and have them move all four extremities. And, and that was my win, right? Like that right. I, I did a good anesthetic. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting there waiting for that patient to wake up and I don't know what it was. Um, my purpose changed uh, and, you know, maybe it'd been changing over time, but then I was sitting there and I was thinking, who am I pleasing right now? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the guy who had the cerebral bypass, the quality of life was really negligible. And then the neurosurgeon, you know, really enjoyed the neurosurgeon, great person. But then I thought, you know, like I'm intervening at the people's last stage of life. And, you know, right. I kind of had that piece in my head and some of the cases that I read with that is like, you know, mindset changed on why do you need to have as advanced skills as I have right before you die? Why not take the skill set that I have and we put it up yeah. here at the front and we intervene earlier and then we intervene early, earlier and we can break the cycle to where we do give these people 20, 30, 40 years more of their lifespan, right? Because you see all of these people that are dying by suicide and they're healthy. Like, you know, I mean, like, you know, you look at them externally and they're healthy. You know, you just don't see the right. disease that their brain may have. So, you know, that was probably the piece that where it kind of flips. And I thought, you know what? I'm really good at talking to people. I can connect with people. I'm safe. I understand ketamine well. So somehow I went down the rabbit hole in 2017 and said, I want to create my own company and, and open it. Um, so I did that, opened it in 2018. And then that was another aha moment. I thought people would just come in and give them ketamine, make them better. And then I started seeing that the lack of advocacy and communication for these individuals in the outpatient community was overwhelming. Um, and, you know, and I, I told my husband, who's a, he's a CT surgeon, so he does heart surgery, right? Um, but I told him, I said, I feel like I'm in an outpatient ICU because people were coming in saying, I have nine specialists. I'm on all these opioids. I have, um, I've tried to kill myself three times. I've, my kids tried to hang themselves five times, you know, and it was a lot of really heavy conversations that I thought, I don't know if the people can like hear a lot of these heavy conversations and actually stay healthy. Right. But you know, with my ICU background, I was kind of used to it. So, you know, it really sparked me to create something that, 
was could only be created based on the skills that I had learned over the past 20 years of really working in high acuity areas and understanding the communication styles and the need for advocacy. So really the company got created based on need and it continues to evolve based on need. So how did I become a nurse to the level that I am now? I have no idea except to say, keep taking those doors that open for you, right? Right, right. So, you know, you're a pioneer in this space because as you mentioned, mental health, we're starting to talk about it more. Uh, we're starting to try to advocate for um, athletes, for the military more. Uh, but you're in a very niche and really treatment doing treatments that are not well understood. So you were starting something four or five years ago. The literature was starting to turn a little bit, but you were really out there kind of on your own, correct? Yeah, you know, I mean, the neat thing about it is when you start looking, and that was one thing I was just like, I can't believe this stuff's been here. So, you know, ketamine research, well, so ketamine, right, it, it was FDA approved in 1970, right? So it's yeah. 52 years old. Um, but at the end of 1990, in the 1990s was when Yale University discovered that ketamine had real-time results on the brain. So this is at the end of the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can start looking at some early, you know, 2000 uh, research, uh, but you really have to specifically know what, how to go in and find it. Um, so, you know, when I started seeing some of these things, I'm like, how are these people so much more advanced? They're like, why don't we know about this? This is our right. specialty. Yeah. And, um, you know, so really, Right. The, let's see, in 2017, I believe that was the first time that they came out with some recommendations through the Journal of Psychiatry on ketamine. And that was when they had first recommended that you do half a milligram per kilo um, on these individuals as an infusion. And, you know, that was the first time, yeah, that somebody came out. So it was right when we basically opened, the first recommendations came out. Because otherwise, we just took evidence-based materials and compiled them and made protocols based on the evidence-based materials. So you're right. Um, we were pioneering and we still are very much yeah. so. So who do you work with? What does your client base look like? So that's the neat thing about ketamine, I think, you know, is um, one thing I've, I've learned um, with mental health and addiction um, type qualities, I feel like we keep separating the brain when really we should be bringing the brain back in the middle and looking at the brain as a whole. Yeah. So one thing we've noticed is the commonality with the brain is that it duplicates what it knows. And then, you know, and if we're able to break that pattern, then the person can actually stay in remission of their symptoms longer. So knowing that it allows us to be able to expand the people that we can take care of. So, you know, the youngest person we've taken care of is 12 years old. The oldest person we've taken care of is 90. And, um, you know, and we're able to take care. We really focus on underserved populations. And, you know, when you hear that traditionally, people think financially disadvantaged. Um, the underserved populations that we focus on are those who are underserved due to their cultures, right? So it could be your athletes, your first responders, your military, your adolescents. I mean, you have to think adolescents, people are scared to death right. of anything under 18 years of age, unless they're specifically mm -hmm. trained. So we really like to focus on, um, on those types of people. So it, I think ketamine, honestly, if, if you're with a professional who understands ketamine very well and understands the different pressures it's going to change in your brains and in your cardiac and all the other stuff, um, I think ketamine is a very safe drug. Um, it has a very wide safety index or therapeutic index. 
Um, I think that you have to understand, you know, the physiology of the way it works in the brain. But then I think also you have to understand how to support that person as they do evolve, because they're so used to living in, with such significant mental illness. You have to know how to support that person as they evolve kind of in their new healthy patterns and not necessarily their disease state patterns. So, um, yeah, so really, you know, it's um, it's something to where when people call us, we look at our research team, we say, you know what, have we treated somebody like this before? Can we look at this? Okay, what's the evidence that looks at it? So we're able to treat really a, a broad variety of people. And how are you usually getting these patients? Are they being referred by their primary care providers or are they just kind of finding you uh, through social media or on the internet? They're all different, right? So we want people to be referred to us. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, so so uh, we do have a contract with the VA. So the, the veterans, um, they can be referred to us directly and the VA will actually cover their care, care 100%. Um, we have, um, we do want them, like I said, we do want them to be referred, but we also have a risk mitigation aspect to where people can come to us without being referred. And then we have protocols that people sign off on and make sure they meet all these criteria that we want people to meet because we've learned a lot of providers won't refer because they're uneducated on it. So if they're uneducated, then it's hindering care. And then if you have somebody who comes to you and, you know, and they're like, you know, I had a gun in my mouth last night, but I went to my psychiatrist. They're not comfortable sending over ketamine. So we have a risk mitigation and actually we have a medical review board within the company to where when we do have people like that, we present the case to them and say, hey, what do you think? Because we don't know these individuals, right? I mean, it's episodic right. care, but it's one of those things too. I feel like we're just as responsible if we turn someone away than if we try to treat them um, when they're really struggling, you know, with, with just trying to seek help. And who else is in your company as far as providers? As you mentioned, this is something that you can give the medicine, but the kind of whole care for the patient. So who are you affiliated with or who else is under kind of the revitalist umbrella? Sure. Yeah. So we have, um, you know, each of our clinic locations, they're, they're really uh, mostly anesthesia led. So CRNAs, um, we also have psychiatric nurse practitioners. Uh, we have family nurse practitioners, uh, RNs. And, um, you know, so that's kind of, it's, it's really pretty nursing led. And then we have therapists at each of our sites as well. So we have psychiatrists, or I'm sorry, psychologists, we have um, uh, social workers, and then we also have licensed professional counselors. So it's kind of an integrated mix of medical and behavioral. With the company as a whole, uh, we have like our chief medical officer is actually my husband, who's the CT surgeon. We have a couple of neurosurgeons. We have a gastroenterologist, uh, a couple of anesthesiologists, um, a couple of um, psychiatrists. So really what I've tried to do with the company is try to diversify it enough to where when psychedelics and ketamine come to the surface, we're going to be able to have a specialist that's going to be able to help us to, you know, make sure that that protocol that we do right based on that person and the drug or whatever else, that it meets that criteria to, to best help the person, right? The person comes first and with revitalists, the system comes second, um, but we, we still integrate those two. But I really try to tell people, do not turn people away because the system says, wait a minute, let's look at the person first. Let's integrate them and see how you can help these people. Yeah. And let's talk about the growth of this company. So you mentioned 2017, 2018, but now you have multiple locations and you're you know doing a lot of business across multiple states. So talk to us about kind of the growth that you've seen in this realm. 
So, um, yes. So, so the growth, when people say, where do you think you're going to be in five years? I'm like, honestly, I have no idea because, so we do have nine locations across six states. Um, and, um, you know, the states are Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Maryland, Michigan, Florida, and North Carolina. Um, so that's the, you know, we're there, but then we're also a public company. So we're publicly traded on three securities exchanges. So I'm the CEO of that too. Um, to where, you know, we're on the Canadian Securities Exchange, the American, which is called the OTCQB, and then we're on the um, Frankfurt Securities Exchange in Europe. So, um, you know, the the reason I thought it might be a good idea to go on the public securities is because I really think that we have something special um, with the company, and I really think that we can really disrupt all of healthcare with this. Um, and, you know, and I wanted to be able to have more of an audience with the public company and, and being transparent in all these different pieces too. You know, one of the other things that we treat, which was, you know, more so your specialty is CRPS, which is the complex right. pain syndrome. So we're able to treat pain um, as well there too. So, yeah, I mean, the growth initiatives that we have, we do have the clinic locations we do ketamine infusions. We also do something called TMS, which is your, you know, it's a non-medicative approach to treat mental health and pain. They're starting to see too. We have therapy, um, but, you know, actually just earlier today, we, we sent out a press release talking about, we just created a global curriculum um, for individuals to where across the world, they can do this mental wellness curriculum. It's a six month course. And what it does is it walks hand in hand with you as you continue to grow with your psychological development. So every time I actually do this, I learn something new and, it, and it's fascinating people, um, you know, that have helped put this curriculum together. But I think that's a big piece with mental health. One, we used to never talk about it. Now we're talking about it and we have no idea what we're talking about. You know, it's like, it's one of those things to like, you know, I mean, when you're, when you're almost 40 years old and you're just now talking about mental health, well, what happened with your mental health when you were 12 and 16 and 21 and 25? We don't know because we didn't even yeah. look at that topic of conversation. And now our children are looking up to us saying, mom, dad, what do you think? And we're like, oh, no, it right. didn't <laughs> you yeah, know, so we create the, the curriculum to really it's actually for for people aged 15 years of age and up. But we created it to where it could help support people. Right. Because there's a lot of apps out there, which is great, but there's not a lot of chronologic guidance, um, you know, as you're learning and growing. So, so that's another piece. So we do have the brick and mortar locations, but then we're also looking at the virtual pieces on how, how do we help more people without having to expand, you know, and, and build 400 locations at one time, which could we do that? Sure. Would I be a little tired? Yes. <laughs> uh, but, the, but yeah, so we're trying to figure out how do we keep accessing or giving people greater access while we still continue to you know, treat people on site too. So speaking of greater access, let's talk about the work that you're doing in the athletic space uh, with your certification and for mental health advocacy. Uh, talk about your, your two-day athletic certification that you have. The Sabre training bat is like no other training bat you've ever used before. So the purpose of the Sabre training bat with its modified barrel is so that you can perfectly sequence and get behind the ball, getting the bat on plane sooner, creating less miss hits, more line drives, higher batting averages, and more exit velocity. The Sabre training bat is the number one training bat on the market. 
Saber Bats, the training bat that's going to take you to your best swing. So um, I played Division One sports when I was in college, and you know I, um, gosh, I started working in the hospital when I was sixteen. So. I went and worked at the hospital as an athlete, right? Because I knew how to be a team member and, um, you know, and a leader and different things like that. And, and I learned, you know, probably kind of quickly that most of the people that didn't play sports to that capacity, they didn't really understand what I was. I mean, I would be told that I was too assertive or whatever else. And, mm. and really, you know, I think that's, um, you know, the, the rolling of the tides of an athlete. So, one thing I noticed um, when we opened the clinic, well, we have an athletic advisory board now with the company, but one thing I noticed was, you know, athletes would come in and, or, or they would want to talk to somebody and I could talk to them just fine because I was an athlete, but right. I noticed that some therapists would be like, well, that's probably your anxiety from childhood. Hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, like, so, so, you know, so one of the pieces was, you know, I got ejected a few times out of games. Um, What's for uh, what sport? Uh, softball. And, I played softball was my primary, but softball and basketball were the ones okay. where I would get ejected from. So I got you. <laughs> um, but um, but they said, well, it was probably your anxiety. I was like, it had nothing to do with my anxiety. And, you know, looking back on it, I said it was because I was so driven. Nothing mm -hmm. could get in my way. Right. And then I didn't care what they were saying to me. Like I just kept back talking because I wanted I wanted to win. Right. And I didn't know how to regulate that per se. So, you know, so we created the athletic certification so athletes would know how to speak to other athletes because, you know, athletes really, from what I've learned, and this is my personal opinion, but I think athletes and first responders and military are trained in a very similar capacity. We're taught to speak to people in very direct bullet point. Right. Here's your goals. You know, we're very short-term and long-term gold, um, you know, mm. from that angle. And, you know, and a lot of people in the civilian world can see that as being rude. So like when I come in the mornings, I'm like, hey, you got this room, this room, this room, this room, you know, kind of thing. I don't come in the mornings and say, hey, Derek, how are you today? <laughs> right. How was your evening? You know, because sure. we just don't do that. It's medicine. not warm and fuzzy, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so so it's almost like we were being judged inaccurately um, as athletes. So we created the two-day certification because, you know, there's a big gap there. Um, I think athletes are your, they're not natural born leaders. They're trained leaders I agree. And, yeah. and they're trained in their specialty. But when they leave that sport, you can go around and ask so many athletes. You say, what, what does your CV look like? What does your resume look like? Well, I don't know. I didn't do anything. I just played basketball. No, no. You know, and, and you know, so therefore they're, they're leaving this like field where they've excelled and they're thinking that they're going out to nothing because they didn't work at McDonald's when they were 16, but mm -hmm. you know, they really need to look at the sport and look at all the skills that they acquired in that sport and transfer that over to the CV. And then that, you know, and that's their, they have huge, huge, um, you know, uh, positive significance to any company. Like, right. you know, you have to think about it. I had somebody, I had one of the therapists say, well, yeah, because sports are just chaos. And I'm like, no, they're not chaos. They're, mm -hmm. they're very fluid. You may look like chaos if you don't understand it, but it's actually a very fluid art and you have to change. Your plays are changing every 15 seconds, right. which, you know, that makes an athlete a huge, huge win. Adaptable. To yeah. 
And, you know, so, so we created the athletic certification, not only to highlight that, but then to also, you know, to, to have that form of communication. So when you, when you have a teammate who comes to you and says, I can't sleep. Okay. Well, they, are they not sleeping because they're drinking too much? Are they not sleeping because it's anxiety? Are they not sleeping? I mean, who knows why, right? But we created it to really help athletes and leaders in the athletic sector to understand how to speak to other athletes and then when is it time to call in greater experts you know like because i mean when 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 do you have an athlete who's really struggling because i do think athletes were trained to work through injuries to right. be sleepless, push through to push through to where when we really start struggling that's probably a big red flag because we're high risk anyway because we've been taught how to push through the trenches so you know and then and that's one thing you know we've learned with athlete athletes individual sports their suicide rates are higher you know than um than team sports and and in team sports it seems that teammates go to each other more so than they go to their coaches um because you know they're afraid of repercussion i mean i'm sure you know like like i remember like tearing my bicep and i was like i'm fine <laughs> my arms like yeah, shaking. Yeah. <laughs> hold my bat with my left hand but i just didn't want to get out of the game you know you no can't, signs of weakness yeah no signs of weakness and somebody's always waiting to take your position right you know so so you can't have that until you're just you've cracked so you know so we created the two-day certification really just to give some greater insight um, to, to everyone. Um, so they don't miss those warning signs because we've never talked about it. And if people, you know, if they do talk about it in the athletic sector, they're usually not athletes speaking about it. Correct. So that was one thing, you know, we trained our athletic board to where they can actually go out and help to educate um, with the two-day certification as well. And two, it's something to where if you're an athlete and you want to put something on your resume, Hey, look, I've got my mental health certification through Revitalist. That was where, you know, it's a provider and therapist who helped teach me this. And then, you know, it, it's really a, it's a big win. And it's something that the companies should look for um, because not only are they going to be a trained leader, but then also they're going to be trained to understand how to speak to people, um, you know, very constructively. Now, I love that because it's similar to like a, a barber or a pastor. Um, you have to be a social worker, right? Because you might be that only person that an athlete or, you know, somebody that's sitting in your chair getting a haircut is comfortable enough with having a conversation man to man or woman to woman. Uh, so if athletes are well trained with how to pick up these key signs of mental health or when somebody is struggling or depressed or addicted to something, you know, we can save lives by what the work that you're doing for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I want to touch on, well, first of all, let's talk about the unit, what that means. Talk about your, your brand. My unit initiative. So the unit initiative, we created it. So it's, um, uh, you know, it's actually unitapparel.org. Um, but basically we created the unit initiative because it was through the military, it was a military and a first responder piece. And again, you know, it's, it's the culture piece um, that we're trying to really, you know, bring highlight to because, the unit initiative, it's a, it was a, it was birthed between revitalists and then a nonprofit organization that I helped create called Community Change Foundation. So with the unit initiative, it's a fundraiser for veterans and first responders to receive um, funding to receive ketamine infusions or therapy or whatever else that way. So one thing that, um, you know, we recognize with 
the unit initiative, especially with military and especially with police officers, they don't trust. Um, you know, and, and that's a big piece, especially with ketamine infusions and psychedelics is, you know, they, they make people feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we really wanted to do with the unit initiative is pull together nonprofits, veteran nonprofits. There's over 50,000 veteran nonprofits, but we wanted to pull all those guys together and gals and, um, you know, and make a unit to where they know that when they see these shirts, they know they're part of something because, you know, when, when people transition out, whether they retire from being a first responder or if they've been deployed, they come back to the States, they lose their unit. And when they lose their unit, that's isolation. And then they don't feel like they can speak to anybody. And two, you know, this working in the field that you do, there's only certain people you can talk about with the exposures that you've had to where you don't want to make, you don't want hurt their mental health when you're talking about yeah. you know, a, whatever you know a gunshot wound to the chest or something right. um yeah. you know so so one thing with the unit piece like that we've done is we've created um we have several veteran nonprofits that are supporting the unit initiative and basically what we want to say is these veteran nonprofits trust us you know and we're going to take care of you so it's like a trust and respect and a continuously you know a continuity of care um, so pulling all these guys together, because one thing with the veteran piece is there's a lot of people out there doing awareness. We still need more awareness, of course. Right. Um, but there's a lot of people doing awareness and doing advocacy. There's not a lot of people that are actually treating. So the more that we can actually get people, you know, to where they understand the unit initiative and they can say, Hey, we got the unit initiative revitalist is here or, you know, or even other places um, that, you know, if, if veterans trust them and stuff, you know, we can do a due diligence on them per se, but um, it's really just to help create that sense of a unit within the mental health space within the United States to where people feel part of something, even though their other unit has transitioned them out. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's very important because one of the main things as people transition back to from the military to civilian life is, like you said, being isolated or not having someone to even diagnose their mental health. And then you find yourself you know, isolated or homeless or whatever it may be. And that depression can be real. And you know, the suicide rate is very high. So it's great work that you're doing. Thanks. All right. So um, time out with the sports doctor. This is your final time out. So you mentioned how your days playing softball and basketball and that aggression and, you know, the attitude of being able to win and to finish and not backing down from anyone, you know, how that translates to the business world. Now you're a CEO and you're doing this groundbreaking work and this very important work. So speak to an athlete who, you know, might be told to just, you know, play their sport and not worry about life after athletics and you know, or might be criticized for their aggression or for their their winning mentality. Speak to that athlete about how they can use the uniqueness of being a competitive athlete to become an entrepreneur or to become a leader in other fields. You know, I think I think self-reflection is probably the biggest piece there uh, with an athlete. And again, you know, I've never even put these things down on paper as an athlete. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the critical thinking skills. So, you know, the athletes have to develop and they have to develop them on the spot or they're not a successful athlete. 
Um, yeah. But I've learned, you know, a lot of people in life never, they never have critical thinking skills. They never, they never develop those. They're just rule followers, which is great. We all want to mm-hmm. follow rules, you know, unless, you know, new rules need to be created. And that's the piece, you know, the athletes can really do. So, you know, I think athletes, I think they need to have a lot of self-reflection on how did, how, what training did they receive that they can take that training and then they can put it into an, you know, any environment, any company environment they can put it into. Now, would I say that it's good for an athlete to work a Monday through Friday job from eight to four, where it's just consistent? No, not at all. Because athletes are used to their environment changing and used to having to make decisions and have critical thinking skills and different things like that. So, you know, I think um, anyone who's been on a team sport, um, they need to see their strength. And right now in society, we don't really, we don't even acknowledge that necessarily. Yeah. We say, oh, you were really good at this sport. You won this many things. But, uh, but no, I think an athlete, I think we have to understand that we probably will never be good enough um, in our brain, right? Because we always want to win the trophy, want to win the region, want to win the state, you know, whatever else um, yeah. that way. Um, but I think, you know, for us to measure ourselves, compared to, you know, the other people in the space to say, okay, how am I doing? Because, you know, that's the way we used to measure ourselves in the season is what you're ranking, you know? And then when we get to the civilian world, we're like, what do you mean? Nobody ranks itself. <laughs> like we don't understand, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so it, it's one thing, you know, to where, you know, you got to figure out how do you connect? How do you, you are going to be, I think, misperceived sometimes, um, you know, in the environment, but I think, yeah, I think seeing that, you know, you do have the motivation, you are going to feel like you don't fit in and you don't because you have all these different skills that other people haven't even possessed yet. But, but instead of looking at that as feeling like it's an isolating factor, instead look at it as, you know what, maybe I've been trained to have some leadership skills that other people don't have. So how can I utilize, how do I work in this team environment to become a leader? Not walking in saying, I'm a leader. This is what we're going to do. You have to understand your team before you can lead them. And I think that's probably the best advice I'd give to an athlete is, you know, you've got to read your environment, um, which, you know, all athletes can do that. We all know the lineups. We all know our team members. We all know which positions that they play. And we all know the weakness of the opponents. So how do we integrate? How do we look at our team? How do we see the system and see what weaknesses the system has as to how we can integrate and help improve the system. So it's all about utilizing the skills that you've been trained to do with sweat through injury, everything, blood, sweat, tears, um, but utilize those and really figure out how to integrate them into, um, you know, a professional environment. And, and once we do that, then we can be like, oh, wow, I have so much power, but you don't right. feel that way during the transition because it's just, it's, it's unique. I like that answer and I appreciate your, your openness on that. All right. Well, you know, tell everyone how they can follow you on social media or how they can follow Revitalist Wellness or even, you know, possibly become a patient of yours. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So any of our clinics, you can call us at any time. So anybody can look at revitalist.com 
or they can look at revitalistclinic.com. Um, we're actually working on a national website that will help people to, you know, find us even easier. But, um, but any of our clinics, um, we have a, a awesome people who are care coordinators to where anybody can call anybody. Um, fortunately, the nice thing with the VA contract is we can accept, um, we, we offer complimentary consults to all veterans with VA benefits, no matter where they are in the country. And we can help those vets get through to our system in near any of our locations. So yeah, so revitalist.com um, or revitalistclinic.com is the websites. Um, you know, we're on Facebook, um, LinkedIn. You'll see me doing random videos, um, calling out veteran nonprofits so they can help us to continue to spread the word of our VA contract. Um, you know, uh, Instagram. And then we even have a TikTok, which I had a marketer who's completely against that. But we use that, you know, just to con for continual education um, with these yeah. people because there's, there's all kinds of different angles. And if we're breaking the system in mental health at 60, 70 years old, it's been pretty stagnant. It's going to take a second. So we try to be on as many platforms as possible. And we're on Twitter um, as well. So yeah, so those are our, our most popular platforms. Sure, sure. And thank you for sharing. And we'll definitely uh, help spread this, this very important work that you're doing uh, with mental health, you know, both in the athletic space, as well as in our veteran space. So I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace. Listen.